Chapter 11 of The Directory of the Devout Life by F. B. Meyer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter 11 God's Primal Law. Matthew, Chapter 5, Verse 44. What must be done for life, eternal life, the deepest and best? Everyone desires to know that. We all want to drink of the goblet of life, and to drink it to the last drop, to know everything that can be known in the brief limits of our existence, of true enjoyment. Everyone asks the question, in one form or another, how can I taste the inner meaning of life? This is the answer. Love is life. And every man that loves perfectly God and his fellows is already drinking of the river of water of life, that flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. You may be startled for a moment, having been wont to hear from the lips of teachers and preachers the formula, Believe and live. Is there then a contradiction when the Master says, Love and live? No, as you will discover so soon as you endeavor to live a life of perfect love without believing in Christ. You cannot do it. If you could, the gospel would be needless. But, because it is impossible for man to love like this, the Lord Jesus came to renew our natures and teach us to love. Yea, he ascended on high to send the Holy Spirit, that he might shed abroad the love of God in our hearts. Love is not indigenous to the children of Abraham's race. It must be implanted as an exotic from heavenly soil. But when we speak of love, we do not mean that it is primarily an emotion of the soul, it is the expression of the soul in action. Love consists in being willing to do. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy strength. Many are disappointed because they try to love God with their hearts before they make him first in their will. How beautiful it is to see the amenities of human life, the trust of man in his fellow, the love of a parent to a child the devotion of wife to husband. These things, like the flowers that festoon unsightly ruins, adorn the lives and characters and homes of men who lay no claim to godliness. The abandoned woman presses her babe to her breast with maternal pity. The bandit is attached to his comrade, who shares his rug and spoils and plunder. And even the grim tyrant is attached to the woman he calls wife, these virtues are the wild flowers that grow over the rugged nature of man. But they are not the test of our religious life. If you simply love those who love you, and are kind to those that are generous, and salute those who salute you, you are not doing more than those who act at the prompting of their own human heart. The children of God must do more than this. If the religion of Jesus Christ does not lift its professors out of the ordinary level of mankind, into an altogether new atmosphere, to stand amid a fresh environment, and to give proof that they have found something which others do not possess, it can boast nothing better than was yielded by the hoary religions of the past and is doomed to pass away. No. The Lord demands that, as there are men and women in our social circles whom naturally we dislike, whose temperament offends us, and whose prosperity is a matter for which naturally we cannot pray, 
so we cannot attain his ideal until we have learnt to love, pray for, and bless them with a divine and heaven-born unselfishness. How many Christians form a false estimate of themselves? Their friends flatter them that they are generous and kind, and with such estimates they are only too ready to concur. We judge ourselves by the way in which we behave to wife, child, or friend, to those in our own circles of life, where it is easy to be open in heart and hand. That, however, is far from being an adequate test of what we really are. Men of the world can be attractive and winsome under similar surroundings. The only adequate gauge of the quality of our religious life is furnished by our attitude towards those from whom we are separated by prejudice, temper, or the consciousness of unfair and unkind behavior. These relationships furnish the real test of what we are before God, since we are towards God what we are to them. Such an attitude of kindness and prayerful sympathy is impossible to men of the world. Thus Christ's command is a profound and searching test when he reiterates the ancient law. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. 1. Every man loves himself. That is universally true. The whole tendency and drift of human life, which has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, is to revolve around the pivot and center of one's own individuality. This is the result of being born of the first Adam, and proves the necessity of being born again of the Holy Spirit. 2. Every man has a neighbor. This is also taken for granted. You are not only the center of your own life, but part of the circumference of someone else's life. That circumference may be a very wide and far extended one, but you cannot evade the fact that you have been born into a community or family of people, and, as we shall see, the point is not who is your neighbor, so much as whom you will neighbor. Any man whom you shall encounter within the next hour on the king's highway, needing your help, is your neighbor. 3. The world's method is at variance with God's. The children of this world try to limit as far as possible the number of their neighbors, and to admit as few as possible within the pale of their generosity. Whereas God's principle is to go forth to all who need comfort and help. The scribes said, Who is my neighbor? Luke chapter 10 verse 29. Hoping that Christ would limit the duty of neighborliness within as narrow limits as possible, a blood relation, or such like, whereas our Lord always taught that we were to be on the outlook to prove our neighborliness. Go through the world exhibiting as widely as possible your neighborliness. The scribes said, Who is my neighbor? But the Lord answered, Go and show yourself a neighbor. In showing ourselves neighbors, we must remember that every individual has three characteristic properties. One, every man has his rights. There are his inherited rights, such as his right to freedom, for no man may enslave his fellow, and everyone in whose heart there is a part of God's love is bound, so far as he may, to secure liberty for the enslaved. Every man has a right also to fresh air, fresh water, sufficient land for the maintenance of life, whether cultivated by himself or by others is not material. 
every man also has a right to freedom of conscience, so that no man is justified in imposing his creed or manner of divine worship on another. These are rights which every individual member of the human family has a claim to, and, if we would live a life of perfect love, we must respect these rights in every man, though a beggar, in every woman, though a servant girl. We all have acquired rights, such as those of character and reputation. No one has a right to take another's character or impair his reputation. If there is some blemish in another's character which calls for reprehension and blame, dare to tell it to him between himself and yourself, but do not filch away his reputation. There are also the rights of property. These must be respected. Anything like a compulsory division of property is impossible to Christ's disciples, though we all may proceed on the voluntary principle which was practiced by the early church, and of which the early chapters of the Acts tell so wonderful a story. Directly we begin to live the life of perfect love, we begin to respect the rights of another, and to care for them as if they were our own. 2. Every man has his necessities. How infinite the variety of need! The master needs the servant quite as much as the servant the master. We are bound to each other by a network of necessities, and the man in whose heart is God's perfect love learns to minister to those needs, whatever they may be and whenever there is an opportunity, it being always remembered, of course, that a man may be compelled to turn aside from some needs he would like to meet because of his duty to other and more claimant ones. A recent writer has contrasted the demand of Christ with the demand of the world, as the contrast between ministry and mastery. The devil says, Ye shall be as gods. Christ says, Ye shall be perfect, as my Father is perfect. But, in order to be as gods, the devil says you must be prepared to trample men beneath your feet. Christ says, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. The difference is that one set of men go blustering over the world, showing the strength of their arm and insisting on other men serving them, whilst the other set are perpetually giving themselves away in ministry, losing their souls to find them. 3. Every man has his sins. We often seem to forget how clearly Christ has laid down our duty about our behavior to such. If thy brother trespass against thee, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. What do we do? We are cool to him, do not speak to him, give him a wide berth. He has done us a wrong, and we tell our wife and child to have no intercourse with his wife and child. If we meet him in the street, we bow stiffly and pass. But Jesus says, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Go? Let him come to me. Go, why should I? If he should be in need or at the point of death, I would go, but why should I go now? Yet the Lord will have us go, and go now, that we may gain and win our brother to a better mind. Ah, we shall never do it until we have learned to love. Yet another text. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. 
Too often we whisper to this and the other the story of his sin, saying, Of course you will not tell. But that is not God's way. No, says the Lord, lovingly lift that fallen man or woman up again in the spirit of meekness, remembering how easily tempted you are, too. Then go to your place of secret prayer, and pray God that you may not be tempted to your undoing. Once more, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall pray. First John chapter 5, verse 16. Instead of talking of it, let us hasten away to a secret place and cry to God. What will be the result? God shall give him life for those that sin not unto death. End of chapter 11